wretched slugs. Don't any of you have the guts to play for blood? I'm your huckleberry. Hello and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. Today we're going to take a look at the American frontier, the Old West, the Wild West. The mythos of cowboys and Indians and sheriffs and outlaws in the vast untamed spaces of the American West is recognized around the world. I can't think of another time and place that has its own subgenre, the Western. The United States acquired a lot of land during the 19th century. By the time of the Amistad incident of 1839, we already controlled the Texas and Oregon territories. The last major chunk of the existing contiguous United States was acquired at the end of the Mexican-American War in 1848, with the south parts of what are now Arizona and New Mexico being purchased in 1854. In the 1860s, the Transcontinental Railroad was laid down to connect east to west, and our movie opens today in 1879, as the three Earp brothers and Doc Holliday have just arrived in Tombstone, Arizona, a boom town about 30 miles from the Mexican border, thriving due to the nearby silver mines. Wyatt Earp is the main character here, and we quickly see that he is uncompromising, just, and has every intention of putting his law enforcement days behind him. He's also famous, and the people he meets in Tombstone are either in awe or refuse to believe he's actually Wyatt Earp. Now, let me break in early here to say that this film does get a surprising amount of detail correct, or at least close to correct, but it's also very guilty of oversimplification to make things fit nice and tidy into one film, though I'll argue later that it's not that tidy. First off, there were five Earp brothers, not three. And it's not like the other two were in another part of the country. They were in Tombstone too. So before moving on with the film, let's recap their lives before coming to Tombstone. Wyatt Earp was born in 1848 in Illinois the fourth of eight children his parents had. Plus, his father had an older son from a previous marriage, so six or brothers, I suppose. The family was farming in Iowa when the Civil War broke out in 1861. His father and three older brothers, including Virgil, who's played by Sam Elliott in Tombstone, were busy with the Union cause. The boys enlisted, and their dad was a recruiter. Wyatt was just 13 and put in charge of the farm but he repeatedly tried to run off to join the war effort for the Union. After the war, the family all moved out to California. Around the time he was 20, Wyatt was running supplies for our growing railroad system. He actually entered the world of boxing, not so much as a fighter, but as a referee, and he liked to gamble as well. About the same time, his family moved back to Missouri, and Wyatt joined them a year later and was appointed town constable, so his first position in law enforcement. Wyatt got married in 1870, but not to Maddie, whom we see him with at the start of the movie Tombstone. This first wife died of typhoid fever, and Wyatt seems to have struggled in the years immediately after, neglecting responsibilities and getting in legal trouble. Uh, the Earp Boys started dealing in prostitution in 1874, so now just five years before the start of our movie today. Wyatt and his now common-law wife, a former or current prostitute named Sally, followed Wyatt's older brother, James, to Wichita, where James operated a brothel. His relationship with Sally seems to have fizzled out, and Wyatt was the muscle at his brother's brothel. Kind of a bouncer, maybe a pimp of sorts. He did, however, manage to get on good terms with the police in Wichita and joined them in 1875, while also working as a card dealer. 
The guy seems to have managed to fall into every Old West cliche, huh? The Yurt Boys finally left Wichita in 1876 after causing some trouble in Wichita. Honestly, the vibe I get is that they were all far from the virtuous justice warriors we often see in media, but cocky opportunists always looking to make a buck, who didn't like other people calling them out. Well, I suppose Tombstone doesn't shy away from that exactly, but it makes it seem like their plan is to finally look out for themselves after years of selfless public service. Reality seems to be that they were always out for themselves and may have happened to do some good along the way. The next step was Dodge City, Kansas, where Brother James opened up another brothel and Wyatt became assistant marshal. Wyatt spent a winter up in Deadwood, South Dakota before returning to Dodge. In 1877, Wyatt was hired by a U.S. marshal to track down an outlaw into Texas. It was in Texas that Wyatt met Doc Holliday, who seems to have joined the Earps back in Kansas in 1878. There's a story that Wyatt burst into a room of some hoodlums who drew their guns and may have killed Wyatt had Doc Holliday not been there with his own gun ready, forcing the men to stand down. Wyatt claims Doc saved his life that day, and the two were pretty close from then on. Dodge City is also where Wyatt met Maddie, another prostitute who did become his common-law wife. And there was an incident where Wyatt seems to have shot and killed a man who was fleeing the scene of what was essentially a drive-by shooting. So, bringing us back to the beginning of the movie, Wyatt Earp and his common-law wife, Maddie Blaylock, did join his brothers in Doc Holliday in Tombstone, Arizona in 1879. Wyatt was just 31 years old at the time, so about 11 years younger than Kurt Russell was when he portrayed Earp in the film. So, while it's possible a couple of stories about Wyatt Earp could have made their way out west, I really don't see anything that leads me to believe that he was already this national folk hero with the legendary status the film claims he already had at this point. By the end of his life, sure, but not yet. And the film also gets wrong the fact that Virgil Earp was already working in law enforcement in Arizona before Wyatt arrived. So, sorry, let's go ahead and get on with the movie since I've done nothing but undercut it so far. I should note that the core conflict in the film is correct. The Earps, new to Tombstone, get in conflict with the local gang known as the Cowboys. That is true. That happened. And it did happen in a way similar to what we see in the film. And many of the characters in this film are historical, or at least borrow their names and roles from actual people. I'm not going to have time to pick apart every single little detail, but we'll focus on the broad strokes. As his first major action in town in the film, Wyatt strong-arms a bully played by Billy Bob Thornton out of a bar-slash-casino, I'm not sure what they're actually called here, and gets a percentage of the house take in exchange. We then meet Dana Delaney, who plays an actress named Josephine Marcus. I'm not sure if I've been interpreting this scene wrong, or it's just what the movie intended, but we see her stepping out of a carriage, and I always thought she was just arriving into town. She likes Wyatt at first sight as a stereotypical rough-and-tumble man of action, and says she wants one. Josephine does seem to have arrived in Tombstone after the Earps and was romantically involved with County Sheriff Behan, which the movie also implies, but she never seems remotely interested in him. When Wyatt asks her at one point, why are you with him? I was always like, wait, she's with him? Dana Delaney was about 37 when Tombstone came out. Josephine, however, would have only been 19 in 1879, though she does seem to have been the free spirit the film portrays her as. Sorry, the movie. The Earps aren't interested in getting involved. They just want to make some money and enjoy their lives. There's the county sheriff, Behan, and the town marshal, an older man named Fred White. 
but neither of them have much power over the cowboy gang, who basically do whatever they want in Tombstone and the surrounding countryside. The cowboys seem to have two leaders. Curly Bill is loud and boisterous. He always seems to be having fun with the chaos his crew causes. And Johnny Ringo, who is intelligent and quiet and has the reputation as one of the quickest guns alive. Ringo and Doc square off early on exchanging lines in Latin and demonstrating their weapon skills. Ringo by twirling his revolver. Doc his shot glass. Wyatt's wife is hooked on laudanum while he's becoming increasingly interested in Josephine. In a stoned stupor, Curly Bill starts firing his gun at nothing in particular on Main Street at night. Marshall White is pressured to go do something about it and confronts Curly Bill asking for his guns. He hands them over, but at the last second fires one into White's chest, killing him. Wyatt goes out and arrests him on no official authority. He's just a badass. Half the town wants to lynch Curly Bill right then and there. But Wyatt says no, he'll stand trial. The cowboys want him turned loose right then and there. And again, Wyatt says no, he'll stand trial. This incident ends anticlimactically with Wyatt saying a few days later that the judge dismissed the case for lack of a witness. But it is worth mentioning how this incident played out in reality. Curly Bill did shoot Fred White in the groin, not the chest, when White went to disarm him. It was to break up a group shooting drunkenly in the night. Probably five guys, not just Curly Bill. Wyatt was actually already serving as a deputy county sheriff and went to assist White. He saw Curly Bill's weapon go off and hit White and did immediately take him into custody. White was actually just 31 at the time as well, not an older guy like in the film. It took him two days to die from the wound. He testified before his death that the shooting was an accident and Wyatt testified to the same. And Curly Bill seemed remorseful over the situation. So, a tragic accident, but it played out quite differently than the film shows. In the film now, threats from the cowboys quickly bring things to a head. They're just tired of the herps trying to bring law and order to Tombstone. One of the cowboys, who is particularly annoying, is Ike Clanton. He gets up in their faces, spitting threats and saying, Law don't go around here, law dog. But he's always a coward when any real fighting breaks out. Tensions are reaching a point that a conflict is inevitable. They have issued a ban on carrying firearms in city limits, which the cowboys immediately violate while saying they're going to kill the Earps. So Virgil shakes his head and moves to disarm a group of cowboys hanging out around the OK Corral. As is typical for movies, they squeeze the real-life timeline. Tombstone never actually says, but it seems the entire film covers just weeks or months. But Wyatt Earp moved to... Tombstone in 1879, Fred White was shot in October of 1880, and the gunfight at the OK Corral was a year later in October of 1881. So let's get to the fight. The Earps and Doc Holliday confront a handful of cowboys to unarm them. The cowboys brace for a fight, but Virgil quickly says, no, no, that's not what we want. Nobody wants that. But one of the cowboys makes a move, and both sides start shooting. Virgil and Morgan Earp are both hit, but nothing serious. Three cowboys are killed. And I should say, the reason James and Warren Earp aren't in this movie is probably because they weren't at this fight. The whole thing lasted just 30 seconds. The main thing the movie got wrong about the gunfight at the OK Corral is the thing everyone gets wrong. It didn't happen at the OK Corral. It was about half a dozen doors down the way. But I guess the gunfight at CS Fly's photographic studio doesn't have the same ring to it. The fight didn't become widely known until the 
30s, 40s, and 50s with a series of books and movies all playing it up and popularizing the name we know it by. In fact, even though we have one important chapter left to go, that appears to sum up the whole Wyatt Earth mythology. He was just a man, one who could never live up to the legend which he has become over the last century. In the aftermath of the gunfight, both in the film and reality, the cowboys played it up like the Earps had gunned down their men in cold blood. The cowboys retaliate, and Virgil is shot in the arm, and Morgan is killed through a window while playing billiards. And, as always, more time passed between all these events in real life. The gunfight was in October 1881. Virgil was shot in December, and Morgan was killed in March of 1882. This makes way more sense anyway. In the film, the two brothers are shot on the same stormy night, and I'm just sitting there thinking, why the heck is Morgan standing by a window at night when the guys that hate him had just shot his brother? The answer is, it was months later. In the film, the Earps tell the cowboys that they've had enough. It's over. They prepare to leave town with Morgan's body. The cowboys plan to finish them off, and a couple guys go to ambush them at the train. But Wyatt counter-ambushes them and kills the cowboy at the train station. He tells the other to go tell the rest of the cowboys that he's coming for him and hell's coming with me. So Wyatt gets a posse together who just starts gunning down and killing all the cowboys. I can't imagine this was legal. They do make a point to show that Wyatt is now a U.S. Marshal, which was true, but not in the sudden switch the film makes it out to be. But following Morgan's murder, we really did get a series of events called the Earp Vendetta Ride. Wyatt did kill a cowboy waiting for them at the train and he was charged with murder. He and his posse then went out in search of Curly Bill. But, as we always say, real life is more complicated. And since the movie didn't want to paint Wyatt as an outlaw, they ignore the fact that Sheriff Behan had put a posse of his own together, which included cowboy Johnny Ringo, to capture and arrest Wyatt's posse. So no, this whole vendetta ride wasn't legal. But, again, it's complicated. Behan was often in league with the cowboys. The film shows him often turn a blind eye to their crimes. In reality, he may have directly supported them. But the Earps were equally self-interested. Though yes, history probably does side with them as being in the right. The whole thing isn't just good versus evil, though. More like mostly good versus kind of bad. Wyatt's posse included not just Doc Holliday and the few other men we see in the film, but also his brother Warren. In the movie, Wyatt kills Curly Bill in the river, Later, Ringo challenges Wyatt to a one-on-one -on -one duel to end the whole feud. But Doc sneaks out of bed where he was laying sick and challenges Ringo instead and kills him. They finish off the last few and the rest of the cowboys disperse and the gang is no more. We end with Wyatt at the deathbed of Doc Holliday who is dying of tuberculosis. And then Wyatt reconnects with Josephine in Colorado having basically abandoned Maddie to her laudanum addiction. All in all, the historical accuracy in Tombstone isn't horrible, it's just simplified, accelerated, and a little biased. Quick note on Doc Holliday, he died in 1887, so five years after he helped the Earps break up the cowboy gang. Josephine did flee Tombstone for San Francisco, where Wyatt joined her in the fall of the same year they defeated the cowboys. Not sure why the movie moved it to Colorado. And they did stay together the rest of their lives, as noted in the closing voiceover. Elsewhere in the world around this time, the Statue of Liberty was dedicated in 1886, the year before Doc Holliday died. Coca-Cola also came out the same year. In the 1879-1882 window of the movie, President James Garfield was assassinated. Author Fyodor Dostoevsky, Billy the Kid, and Charles Darwin also all died. And FDR and Picasso were born. 
Our friends Bill and Ted grabbed Billy the Kid from New Mexico in 1879, the same year the Earps arrived in Tombstone. But I think we can leave his story for if and when I shoot for an American history only 100 movies. And in 1887, a young woman named Annie Sullivan took on the task of educating a seven-year-old blind and deaf girl named Helen Keller in the southern United States. Next week, we'll explore their lives and relationship. The progress they made together was so astounding that the film could have no other title than The Miracle Worker. 